Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge. Eyes understanding life, you may know what is the hope of his power, what the riches, the glory of his inheritance, and what is the greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we had all our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh, of the, of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kingdom towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Charles Spurgeon said, The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy, which can ever engage the attention of a child of God, is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God who he calls his Father. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity, and you will come forth from a couch of rest refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. Well, our text tonight, Paul was praying for the church's spiritual health in Ephesus, that they would know more and more of God and his gracious work in their life. And for you and I, knowing more about God and the gospel opens our minds to the, greatest, the greatness of God's gracious gift of salvation and the depths of his love towards us. 
So as Paul prayed for the church, his focus was that they would know more and more about God, that they would grow more and more in the knowledge of God, and that they would be that they would understand what God has done for them. And by doing that, you and I can, as Brother Spurgeon said, um, rejoice and grow and have peace by knowing the God that we, well, we love. And so I'll be preaching on this big section tonight because um, it's, tie, it's all tied together. Paul's prayer is very for some specific things, and then the latter part of the text that I read fleshes all that out. So uh, we're just going to go through this text, and first we're going to see the prayer for understanding, and that'll set the table for the rest that is to come. So Paul's prayer is in verses 15 through 19 of the text that we read. And so after Paul praises God in the first part of chapter number 1, for the salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And then, starting in verse number 4 to 14, he um, just points out all the ways that God blesses us in Christ Jesus. Then we get to our text in verse 15. It says, Wherefore, or because of all the things that I've said thus far, about God's sovereign grace and His salvation for us, that being the foundation of God's great sovereign grace, wherefore, I'm building upon that, after I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love unto all saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So Paul praises the sovereign God for whom uh, showed his great mercy on this church in Ephesus. And he praises God in prayer and then thanks God for the church's faith in Christ and love towards the people of God. He thanks God, he thanks God more for people than for things. He thanks God in the screen. He thanks God more for people than for things that. Let's us thank God for one another. Not just generically, I thank God that I have a church to go to. Or maybe not even, I thank God for the church I go to. Let us thank God for another. And thank God for each member he has placed in the body. And ways in which God has blessed them for growing one another or blessing another. Let us have the mindset of the Apostle Paul to praise God for his grace. To thank God for his people. Not just, you know, it's one thing to say we thank you for your sovereign grace but also thank you for saving uh, my family. Thank you for saving my brothers and sisters. Well, after he, he prays, prayer, uh, praise um, of, of praise and thanksgiving, his attention is turned to petitions for the people of God. So he thanks God for the people, and then he prays for them. He asks that God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give the church something. And the request that we see there is, is not just for a few people. This request for understanding is not just for the preacher. It's for the whole church. Not just for certain people, 
not just the men, for the entire body. This prayer for knowing God and knowledge of, of God and understanding of God is for all the church. And so every member of the church should be concerned with learning more about God and knowing more of God and having more understanding of the things of God. Paul wants the whole church to grow together in this knowledge. As he details a little bit in chapter number four, more to that point. So this request is for the whole church to have more understanding, to know God. Paul prays for their spiritual well-being, for the souls and the spiritual welfare of the church. Truly, we have physical needs. But we also need the grace to deal with these trying times. We have physical problems. But God's people need the grace to endure such physical problems. We have sorrows and anxieties and worries. Yes, we pray that God would would deliver us from those. But oh, that we would... Pray for one another that, that we could look to Christ in the face of such circumstances. That the troubles that we endure and the crises that we have to, or that we're thrust into, not only that we can pray that God would, would deliver us from those, but let's pray that God would be with one another in those times. And then we can look to the Almighty God and grow in our knowledge in Him in such uh, difficulties of life. Let us pray that God would give us the wisdom to make the right choices, the knowledge to rest in the promises of God, the the grace to look beyond the trial unto the, the providence and the sovereignty of our Almighty Lord and Savior. To look and hope in the promises of everlasting life. So this prayer is more than just knowing things, but but it gets to the heart of, of Christian life. If we want to, to grow as Christians, we don't look to ourselves to grow, but we look to Christ. We look to the Father, we look to the Spirit. And by meditating on our God and what He has promised us, uh, then we will, by doing that, we will grow in Him. But it's not generalities. There's some specifics here. What are these specifics? Well, first, the need to know God. So that's the first thing that He prays for. The petition that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. So Paul's first petition to God for the church is an increase of the wisdom of the Spirit. Now the Spirit of God is the author of God's wisdom. It's the, he's the author of wisdom. And it's by God's grace that we grow in wisdom of our God and of our salvation. To know more about God is the prayer. And it's not just to know God, or not just to know about God, 
but our understanding be enlightened. And you can take a textbook and you can teach people doctrine and they can understand it. That's what a catechism does. And there are many young children who memorize doctrines and they memorize catechisms and you can ask them about the Trinity and they can tell you uh, line by line, word by word, the, a, a perfectly orthodox definition of the Trinity and of uh, the doctrines of salvation. They can tell you about the, the Lord Jesus Christ. They can tell you about the Holy Spirit. But it's all mental knowledge. That's, that's not what Paul's praying for. That, that's something that you can just do through um, rote memorization. You can, you can memorize these doctrines and have them in your, in your mind. But Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about that our understanding be enlightened. That it goes beyond just comprehending the doctrines, but, but that God would turn the light on to the truth, so to speak. Not just to know the concept, but to own the truth. To know God by experience. To have and to receive this truth by faith. And trust in it. Charles Hodge said the apostles' prayers for the Holy Spirit to dwell in them as the author of divine wisdom, the revealer of the things of God, which insight into the things of the Spirit is connected with that knowledge of God. So it's to have an understanding, to deep thought, to have a clear vision so that we can see and think clearly about God, to have our eyes of understanding brightened. The prayer is that we'd be able to, to to think deeply about God and God's word and to know him and to, and to truly know him. Um, if you've ever listened to talk radio and you listen to the same guy for a while, uh, the same personality on the radio, um, you kind of get to feeling like you know the person. And so if you listen to somebody on the way to work or on the way home or on your lunch break or something, you listen to the same guy five days a week, you kind of get to the feeling that you know them. They'll, they'll tell you stories about their life and tell stories about their, their childhood and, and so forth. And, um, I used to listen to uh, G. Gordon Liddy's uh, radio show, and he'd tell stories about... Um, his time with the government. He tells stories about shooting guns and all, and all these kinds of things. And I still remember a lot of those stories that he would tell. And he'd talk about his family and talk about his friends. And after a while, you th- start saying, well, you, you kind of feel like you know the person. Well, I don't know that man, right? I don't know, I don't know him. I just heard him speak about things. Right? I didn't really know him. Well, you can know about God But until we are born again and dwelt by the Spirit, you don't know God until you trust in Him, until you have faith in Him. It's a, a knowledge that goes beyond just the mental capacity to be able to describe. But it is personally 
experientially knowing the Savior. That this God unveiled truth through the inspiration of scriptures, God showing himself and communicating with us by his spirit through his word, opening our minds and our understanding in our hearts to the revealed truth. And not only to, to just see it there, but have it opened up. And, and it becomes ours and we, we, we embrace it with all of our being. This is what Paul is praying for here. That the truth of the gospel is just opened up and revealed and laid out before them and, and they, they receive it and, and cling to it more and more. Not as just abstract, abstract theorems, but revealed truth. So that's the first main uh, uh, petition. So it's a big umbrella that they would that they would have truth, that they would know God, they would know His truth. And so that's the the big umbrella under which everything else in the message is under. And so under that that theme of knowing more about God, you have the first of three other requests. Number one, to know our hope. So we would have that understanding so that we may know what is the hope of the calling, of his calling. So we would have that, that knowledge. Why? So we would know what the hope of his calling is. So if you're a believer, you know that Jesus died and rose again for sinners. And we need to know more about the gospel and the grounds for which we have that hope. How do we have that hope? What is that hope? Why can we cling to that and have assurance? Is it a hope that we can lose? Is it a hope that we can hold on to in the darkest of nights? What if we sin? What if we don't make the grave? What is this hope of his calling? The second thing that we need to know about is the riches of his glory. So he goes on to say at the end of verse 18, and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance of the saints? So that's the second thing we need to know. Back in verse number 11, it says, In whom we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. We have obtained an inheritance in verse 11. But in verse 18, that we know the riches of the glory of His inheritance, God's inheritance in the saints. So not only do we, do we think of it from what God has given us, but now we can know from God's perspective what this inheritance is all about, and what from, from God's way of looking at things. You and we experience our way of looking at things in this dark world, um, and with, with eyes of faith looking to what God has promised. That's our perspective. But here it is God's perspective of 
the riches of his, uh, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That we know that God loves us, child of God. That God wants us and wills that we come home. That it is the Father's will, it is His desire that His people come home. That it is Christ's will and His work that His people come home. It is for His glory. It is for, if we could say, for His joy. It's one thing to grasp that there is a heaven. But it's another thing, dear Christian, to know that God wants you there. Has, and has provided the way for you to be there. And has ordained that you will be there. And has prepared that place for you. And it is for his for the, the good pleasure of his will. That you will be there. God's plan was not for some people, somewhere, at some time, to go to heaven. But for you, Christian, his will was for you to go to heaven. For you to be there with him. And so this prayer is that we would contemplate and know the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Well, the next petition that that Paul prays for um, to know, for us to know, is that we would understand how great this work is. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? according to the working of his mighty power. So just, just to recap it here, that Paul prays that we might have a spirit of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of him, that the eyes of our understanding be opened. About what? To know the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, and the exceeding greatness of his power towards us. So those three categories that he wants us to know about. The exceeding greatness, or above and beyond power, immeasurable power, incomprehensible power, power that we can't, we can't put two and two together, we can't calculate the power to, by which God has showed towards us. That great power is to us who believe. The power of God is on your side. So the prayer is to understand not just our God has power, but the power that he's already displayed for us and the, and the power he displays in us. How, you know, it's amazing when we begin to contemplate the power of God in our lives. This is what he did for you. And there's a reason why I'm going pretty quickly through a pretty big chunk of this, this uh, passage and just kind of brushing by because there's a big theme through this 
that I hope for us to see this evening. Paul tells us a lot of truth, but it's all connected to this prayer. And so Paul makes these three petitions. And then, starting in verse number 20, he fleshes these out. So, the um, greatness of his power, the riches of his inheritance, and the hope of his calling are the three petitions. But starting in verse 20, he fleshes these out and kind of explains more about those things. And I think he goes, does those three prayers, but only in reverse. And so, starting in verse 20, we're going to see that fleshed out well, in, in the sense that this is how God showed his great power. And this is what the riches of his glory looks like. And this is how we can have hope in the hope of his calling. And so for the remainder of the message, we're going to take those three points that Paul prayed for, understanding what he was at, uh, requesting, and, and look how these things and what he's specifically talking about. All right, so let's look first at the greatness of his power, um, starting in verse number 20. So I'm going to read, um, I'm going to read, uh, starting in verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So this great power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And have put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all. So that power which, which he worked to us who believe, the exceeding great power, is the same power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. How great is the greatness of his power? Well, it's resurrection power. God worked in us so greatly it is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. It is the power that worked in us, the power whereby Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of God in heaven. It is the power worked in you by which he exercises rule and power and dominion over all the universe. Over all the dark forces. Over Satan himself. It is the power by which Christ puts all things under subjection and under his feet. You look out and see darkness and, and evil and, and wickedness. Christ is far above and more powerful than all those things. As he sits now at the right hand of God in heavenly places, far above all these earthly powers or spiritual powers. That is the power that God worked in us. This almighty power that has put all things under his feet. The power of the head of the church, of the body of Christ. It is the power of the fullness of God. That is what... The, the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That is the power by which uh, we should pray and recognize that uh, has been worked in us. 
in chapter 3 and verse 19, he says to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And then that the purpose of the church in chapter 4 and verse 13. Well, in verse 12, uh, for the work, uh, the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying the body of Christ, that we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perfect man and to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we would know God and be filled with with God and the supremacy of Christ. This power, the power of God in completing all these things is the power working in your soul. So your, your regeneration is no mere decision. Well, I decide, I guess, I'll be a Christian. My, my family's Christian, so I guess I will be too. Or Or some, you know, I'm going to try to start doing better in my life and, and then that way God will accept me into heaven. Our salvation is the, this great resurrection power worked in us. The God of the universe came to you in power to, to give you life. So how is this power related to us in particular? Well, in your Bible, in chapter number 2 and verse number 1, you might have happy quickening in italics. And what that means is that those words were not in the, the Greek manuscript. So when you translate from one language to another, you can't just take word for word what, what is there. Because... The word order is different. So if you've ever took a foreign language, you know that, that, that the, the word order is different. And for it to make sense in English, you have to translate the words but put it in the way that we speak. We, we have certain orders where subjects go and, and verbs go and, and adverbs go. And, and for it to make sense in English, it has to go in that order. Well, Greek's not like that. And Spanish and Italian, it's not the same order. And so sometimes the translators would add words for it to make sense for us to understand it. Um, in this case, however, I think it, it might take away just a little bit by adding the words, a little bit of the point Paul was making. So I'm going to read it without the italics. So remember, this great power, this resurrection power that which worked toward us who believe, that same power which wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, that overcome the devil and the demons and all the world and all the worlds under his feet. And you who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, 
among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved. What a glorious thought. The exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, this immeasurable, incomprehensible power, that power that raised Christ from the dead to where he now sits above the powers of the earth in the spiritual world, worked in us when we were dead. When we were subject to the devil and his ways and the darkness of this world and the principalities and powers. When we were enslaved by sin and bound by our own flesh and in subjection to the devil and the spirit of this world, totally corrupted and without hope of reformation, without hope of change, dead in our trespasses and sin, dead as the children of wrath, just like others. But God, who is rich in mercy for that great love wherewith he loved us, when we were dead in sins, in his great love and sovereign power comes and quickens us. And quicken this means to bring back to life. To bring to life. He comes and he, he takes us who were dead. And in that resurrection power gives us life. That same power in which Christ rose from the dead works in us to raise us from spiritual death to spiritual life. And now, no longer do we walk according to the course of this world, but we are united to Christ, delivered from this world, not following the spirit of this age, but indwelt by the spirit of wisdom. This is no small thing. No raising of the hand to come forward, but this was the almighty power of God that saves us and gives us life. It was an act of sovereign love an act of sovereign power, an act of sovereign grace. In verse 6 and 7, we get to that second petition, the one in the middle, about the riches of glory. So that's how Paul fleshes out how powerfully God came to us. Let's look at verse 6 and 7 to see the riches of his glory. And hath raised us together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. So Christ rose from the dead and now sits at the right hand of God in heavenly places. And now he has raised us up together to sit in heavenly places in Christ. Christ, we were. Christ died and rose again that we might be who were dead in sins might rise again. Christ has all of his enemies as his footstool at the right hand of the Father. We were delivered from those enemies that we once walked with and now um, have been released from bondage. Christ is in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father and he has raised us up that we might sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
that we might know these riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And so it is by this great power that we're risen with Christ and united with the ascended Christ and the exalted Christ. And it's the Lord's will for the ages to come in the riches of this inheritance that he would show us those riches. The exceeding abundant riches beyond description, innumerable and immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness towards us. It's not that God has riches that he just wants to tell us about. It's not that he has these vast riches that he keeps a secret and he just wants you to know that he has them. But one day, we'll not only see these great riches of kindness and grace, but he will show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through the Lord Jesus. We're not just going to see him, we'll be the recipients of them. We will be the recipients of this kindness and grace. I know life is hard, and sometimes it's just one battle after the other, one scar on top of the next. We can be discouraged and we can get downcast, and the world can just beat down on you, and the temptation is to become cold or bitter and become unfeeling and say the world is so hard I'm just going to shut down and shut off and and I'll I will just grind it out until the Lord comes back because this world is just so hard but dear ones if you are in Christ Jesus you have this eternal joy waiting for you you have the unending multiplied Blessings to be given to you, to shown towards you, to be added upon you. God has saved you in part so he can show you forever how awesome he is and how much you are loved and tell how kind God will be towards you. You know how a, a small act of kindness can just do your heart good for a long while. How one small act of kindness somebody does towards you can just make your day, can make your week. But in the ages that have come, God will show His kindness. He'll show how kind and gracious and loving He is by using you as the object. God won't be your debtor. You can give and you can love and you can work, but you won't outwork God's love or His gifts. Look to the promises of God. Wait upon Him. He who showed great power and He who will show you the great riches of, his, of glory, that, that is waiting there for you. Lastly, the third point 
the third point of prayer is the hope of his calling in verses 8 through 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. What is the hope of this calling that Paul wants us to know about? What's that hope? Well, it's not how much you can get done before he comes back. It's not having one more good work than bad work to tip the scale in the right direction. What is the hope of this calling? What is the hope of salvation? What is the hope that we will experience the riches of his glory? What is the hope that we um, have received that great power? For by grace are you saved, through faith. We are saved by God's grace. By his loving grace. By his good pleasure. That he loved us. And and the Father sent the Son to die for us. And the Spirit uh, regenerates us and, and, and draws us to Christ. By his grace. If you were saved by your good works, you could brag about it. And before church would start, we could all come up here and we could all take turns bragging about what we've done this week. We could sing songs praising ourselves and, and talking about how great and wonderful we are. So that would that'd make you and I sick, wouldn't it? I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go to a place like that where everybody just brags on themselves. A visitor come in and say, well, how conceited are these people? That's all they do is talk about themselves. Well, what, do we, what do the people of God do? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We know how bad we are, but we know how gracious God is. It is by grace, God's gift. That is the hope of this calling. Our hope is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. is in the grace of God that He saved us. Unto good works. We are His workmanship. What is the hope of our calling? I am His workmanship. I am His work. The power that He worked in me when He raised me from spiritual death into life. And dwells me with his Holy Spirit and gives me understanding and wisdom and knowledge to look to him. That in the faith to cling to those uh, promises. That is the hope of his calling. That I am his workmanship. Not saved by my good works, but created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Which God hath foreordained that we should walk in them. The hope, of my, the hope of our calling is God's grace. His work in me. Those works created in me to do good works that he has ordained that I would do. My hope is in Christ and what he has done for me. So you see... The more you think about who God is and what He has done for you, 
for what he has promised you and the power that he's worked in you and the glories of the gospel of Christ and the glories of the inheritance to come. The more we grow in Christ, the more we appreciate and grow in gratitude. The more it humbles us, the more it exalts the name of our almighty God. So it's little wonder Paul prayed this prayer and desired for God to show them more and more of Christ. If you want to grow, you'll be closer to God. You want to live more for the Lord. You want to put away those things that, that you don't want to do. The answer is look to God. The answer is look to Christ to grow in your knowledge of Him. And 